0: Hey, welcome back to Vanquishers Guide Podcast. I'm Bradley.
1: I am Randy. And i Hello, once again. Welcome back,
0: everyone. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, man.
2: uh, (laughs) I don't even know. And I am just here. I'm just kidding. I'm excited.
1: I'm so excited for this one, because I know, like, absolutely nothing about this. I thought this was a type of foot sore. Not a, a
0: creature. <laughs> well, it's definitely not a foot sore. We
2: well, can... apparently I'm... Uh, Are you sure? Even... Apparently I'm even less informed because I don't know either of them. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about foot sores or like a, what this creature a is. A bunion? Is that what that is?
1: Yeah, or... I I was that was like bunions.
2: I thought I that was uh, like a food. I don't know. I that was like, like You're a, thinking like of a onions. Dessert. No, 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 no. I thought it was like a, a dessert kind of thing. I thought no, that that no, was... It's...
1: If anybody ever says you, if do you want to have bunions after dinner, <laughs> say no. That's, a, I mean,
2: That's it, a no I've, I've never been given that proposition, but it just sounds like something like a bun, something. It sounds like it would be like a no. like some kind of roll. It's a hard mm-hmm. path for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no thanks, man. I, I mean, uh, thank goodness I've avoided that.
0: I had yeah. no idea. Give you, give you some nightmares and probably some digestion issues. For me. <laughs> Yeah. But anyways, uh before I talk about the specific topic that we're discussing today, um first just kind of general question to you guys. Um how much do you know about the Australian Aboriginal mythology?
2: They have a mythology.
0: Um, okay. <laughs>
2: so enough. that's
1: a zero from him. Uh-huh. Um I know basically nothing maybe okay. just like surface level that's like super ubiquitous. I don't All know. Right. I didn't I don't even know too much about like Australia myself. So
0: Yeah, so my my knowledge of the history of Australia was like mostly surrounded the colonization part of it. Yeah. Kind of the growth from there and not too much of the actual like indigenous people there.
2: Right. I'm and, still not convinced that Australia exists. So,
0: I've never seen. I it. mean,
2: yeah, yeah, I've
1: never been there. So, a
2: place that everyone lives upside down. That feels. That yeah. feels like a lie.
1: And I mean, <laughs> on the traditional flat Earth model, there's just no room for it. So,
2: yeah, right. That is unless true. it's on the upside down other side of the flat surface. Perhaps, there
1: we but... go. You have to drill through the earth <laughs> yeah. to get to Australia.
2: <laughs> this feels like nonsense. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It they don't doesn't, exist. Doesn't
0: doesn't pass the vibe check. But uh, yeah, so basically, like, as far as I knew, it was like, I, I knew that, like, indigenous people existed, like, you know, that's, that's one thing I knew. And then I knew that every single, like, civilization, every single group of people in the past have had some sort of belief system. Whether that be religious or not, there we go had a belief system, and so I was like, "Huh, I wonder what I should do for the podcast this week." And I was like, "We're going to go to Australia because we've not been there yet, Damn and I've still not been there, but we're going to talk about it's it." An <laughs> entire
1: continent untouched by our podcast, man.
0: Yeah, just sitting so there. It's just sitting there now. Now we're gonna crack it open, and I've learned a ton, and I'm really excited that we might be able to come back to it because yeah, there's just so much there.
1: And Um, slurp out all the gooey goodness
0: yeah so again before we get to our creature today i do want to just touch on a little bit of the mythology because oh boy it is it's deep and i am still trying to wrap my head around it i'm scared so the uh aboriginal so from this point on i will probably be just saying aboriginal instead of australian aboriginal just because that's a mouthful so, so we're not talking about america Georgia. we are not. yes yeah we are talking about the myth- several myth- thousand land. miles away <laughs> <laughs> um so their spirituality their mythology religion whatever you want to call it um includes something that is been recently and by recently i mean within the past hundred and something years been like keyed dream time or the dreaming oh i like
1: where this is going
0: it also includes something called song lines and then as well as something that we'll all know is the oral literature so i've never heard of that what's that (laughs) (laughs) three things oral tradition is something that is common within Mm -hmm. every single culture that didn't write stuff down and even the ones that did so we don't need to talk about that one but when i say dream time or song lines that probably sparks some kind of interest because what is that, right? Uh, yeah, the only dream time I know is
1: like from Eldritor, in which there's like the Dreamlands, but this is not that, I
0: assume. Um, I, there's a good chance that it was taken from this. Whoa. I see that. So, Ooh, the, ancient author, lore, man, heck yeah. Uh, dream time is a term, uh, devised by early anthropologists to refer to a religio cultural worldview attributed to the aboriginals in Australia. So um, if you don't understand what the dreaming is or dream time is by the end of this, that's okay. Cause I still don't fully understand it either. So uh, there is a guy named Francis uh, Gillian. He was a magistrate. He did a little bit of amateur ethnographing and stuff. Yeah. And so he lived and of was course. doing some work around 1896. He and a guy named Walter Baldwin, Spencer, Spencer is a key name later, uh, they published a major work called The Native Tribes of Central Australia, and that was published in 1899. So in that work, they spoke of um, a word that is Alkaringa, and uh, it's a name that applied to the far distant past with which the earliest traditions of a tribe deal. Um, and then five years later, they continue to say in another book that it was a far distant age known as the dream times. So basically breaking that down a little bit, what we have is the dreaming, the dream time. It's a basically a measurement of time, or it's a, it's a period in time that was you know, a long time ago, but it was the time where their religion their traditions started and began if that makes sense.
1: Oh, and this is like so fascinating. That's not at all what I would think like dream time would mean. Like, no, not at to all. To think that it's like an era of history. Mhm. That's so wild.
0: And so this is definitely the popular belief held currently of what the word probably means. But after that book was written, I'm oh, sorry, after the two books were written, um, there was a man, he was a German Lutheran pastor and missionary. His name was Carl Stray Um, and so he, after reading this was like, no, I, I have really big doubts about this. I have some Aborigine friends and here's what I have to say. So in 1908, he, uh, published a book and he noted that he had some Aborigine friends that explained that the word that they were using in their book was actually mistranslated and it was supposed to be algira and that etymology doesn't or is unknown right now but basically what it would translate to is an eternal being who had no beginning and so in one of the many languages of the aborigines Mm -hmm. um the uh, word would have been instead of or the the word to dream what they were using would have been Gina, um but they had corrupted it to mean that. Instead, it means um, basically it means eternal one or basically God. And so he was trying to, you know, make this idea that the Dreamland, instead of being called Dreamland, is really just a reference to an eternal being, namely God. And so after he wrote the book, book, though, all these people came together and was like, "No, you're wrong." because all the people that you were talking to that were natives had actually converted to Christianity and were mm-hmm. even pushing this Christian God onto, onto the world. Oh, so this was a kind of like a mid theory that kind of got overshadowed again by the original theory.
1: Uh, so the original theory that you said was, is still the most popular to this day.
0: It is. Yes. And it, it's actually like, the Aborigines in Australia today still like that's the belief that they hold. So it's obviously correct. Okay. To a degree. I mean, not obviously we don't fully understand what ancient Aborigines believed, but it, it's yeah. the closest thing that we can get to. Anyway,
1: say so that is a little confusing, you know, is that that's kind of a big departure. Is it, is it a time period or is it a God, you know? Right. Like, I would think that there wouldn't necessarily be a lot of confusion between that, but.
0: Well, and so the, the, what's so difficult is about it is because like modern day Australia, you can break it down into like the different territories and stuff, right, the different states or whatever. Um, but before that, obviously, it was, you know, there was different tribes and, and everything that were not in those exact locations that they were, you know, separated in different ways and all of them spoke different languages and so as time goes on languages change but it's really hard when so many groups of people have so many different languages it's hard to keep a correct definition for every single word that exists yeah right because language at the time especially when colonization is involved language changes so quickly and evolves mm-hmm. so quickly that yeah it's it's just kind of kind of a hard situation to keep uh, oral traditions alive yeah, I could imagine how that's super tricky. But uh, to kind of now taking the stories out of it and just kind of understanding what the dreaming is. So, um, it is used to represent the Aboriginal concept of every win. If that, if you can kind of wrap your head around the the word that doesn't really mean anything, you know, it doesn't have like a definition in our time, but it's basically everywhere, every time, every place but also, you know, the wind part of it. So it's kind of just like everything, right? Um, right? During which the land was inhabited. So this time period that I was talking about. So during that time, there was a land which was inhabited by ancestral figures. They were often of uh, heroic proportions. They had supernatural abilities. Um, these figures were often distinct from the gods of their religion, but basically kind of like the Herculean kind of... Nephilim. Hey, Can you use that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so they didn't control the material world. They didn't. They do. They weren't worshipped by the people. They didn't normally like like create new things. They were just kind of like folk heroes, basically. Mm. Uh, and so the concept of dream time has subsequently become adopted in a lot of animist religions which sorry i guess i could have started with this is an animist religion um and and now it's kind of a worldwide belief in some ways but this is one of the first um we like first times we see this in in these older religions so so i'm not exactly
1: familiar with the term like animist religion
0: Okay, yeah, so animism is probably the oldest religion, religious ideology that is like that we know of. It's, it is by all accounts, the most ancient form of belief. So it's a belief that objects, places, creatures, just everything have a spiritual power or spiritual presence, I guess. Um, and they're all like animated is kind of a weird word, but animism animated, Um, but everything's living. So like trees have spirits. uh, Oh, okay. Everything is just connected with some, you know, spirit thing. Yeah, I get that. So, um, yeah. So dreaming is um, like the dreaming is the time period, right? Dreaming is the, the verb, of that act right so it's you used... expect me to know what a verb means <laughs> <laughs> and a verb means something that you do. <laughs> um so it's now used as a term for a system of uh totemic like totems symbols uh-huh. symbols um that a aboriginal aboriginal person would have and they would have a specific dreaming there's things like a kangaroo dreaming a shark dreaming a uh, badger dreaming you know combinations of animals, basically just a like spirit animal kind of thing. Gotcha. Basically that connected them to their family, to their ancestors, to their history. And so because of this, the dreaming uh would involve a person's entire ancestry to exist as one. Uh culminating into the idea that all worldly knowledge, all experiences, everything is accumulated through one's ancestors. Uh uh, so,
1: if yes. like you're shark dreaming, if I'm understanding <laughs> this correctly, does that mean that like your relatives would also be shark dreaming?
0: I think it was so, more like a shark is just kind of representing your family, kind of like a crest. Okay. Gotcha. But again, I'm still trying to process what all of this information is. It's it's kind of a it, lot. It sure is a lot. Yeah. Um but basically with all like the ancestors and everything, basically the idea of dream time is referring to the creation of the world, creation of traditions and their society, basically. Um, and the creation of the world for them is believed to be a work, the work of these cultural heroes, um, And the gods kind of as one um, where the cultural heroes weren't specifically creating the world, but they were, like I mentioned before, doing something called Songline, which I will now explain. But basically what would happen is as the world's created, these cultural heroes would travel across this formless land and they would build up sacred sites, significant places, um, which is then called the Songlines. So. a song line is basically or sorry, a songline also called a dreaming track. So lots of dreaming going on here. But Easy. a path across the land or sometimes the sky within the animist belief, their beliefs of um of the first people of Australia, the um Aboriginal people, um, that they would make this route um, while they're dreaming, so like everyone in in this they believe is dreaming, and that's basically the key all of all knowledge, of all experience and everything. and they would be written down into traditional songs, stories, dances, arts, and they would just become a vital part. So like the they believe that these spiritual sites were created by their ancestors, and it was a, like it's just important to their entire, pattern of life culture tradition everything so in a weird way it's all like a, like a one long road like destiny kind of like a thing uh-huh okay so, so if none of this makes sense i apologize i <laughs> didn't
1: <laughs> so the dreamlands are kind of like this psychic space in which like almost you're like culture and your traditions and everything else like that are like almost visualized almost kind of like a data bank of for like you and your ancestors yeah i don't know if i'm getting this
0: right no disrespect to anything the way i've been able to kind of process it is the spirit realm in avatar the last airbender that's kind of how i've been picturing it
1: okay Uh,
2: that kind of actually helps a lot that makes a lot of sense (laughs) Cool. And and if that ends up being like so far off that it's like totally not accurate, I apologize. But yeah, it does make sense to me a little bit more now.
0: Basically I'm just think like to me it's not an actual point in time. It is a accumulation
2: of all like a pool of everyone's knowledge, everyone's like experiences. Um, That's super cool though. Yeah. Yeah. If if it
1: is is like like the mental image that I'm building if it is like at least somewhat accurate this is like rad man
0: Mm -hmm. right it's very cool um and the last thing i'll say about the mythology and dreamland specifically there was an anthropologist his name was uh william stanner and he was just trying to fully understand and fully try try to conceptualize this whole concept of dreamland and he said that the best way for non-aboriginal people to understand this was just to mean a complex of meanings which doesn't help at all yeah it almost something. makes it worse man i'm sorry uh-huh. and when i saw that i was like well i thought i was getting it and now i don't think i get it at all
2: i don't understand anymore i'm confused again i mean
0: i guess if you break it down
1: of like like i just think of like a ball of like meanings it that's not helping no no <laughs> but like
0: like, i i just i'm really holding to the idea so far that it's just a accumulation of experience knowledge and traditions of the people right and i think that's a you know i think it's pretty good (laughs) oh and it's also a kind of time period of the beginning of their traditions and culture but right so anyways their mythology is super deep it like it's I wouldn't, I wouldn't couldn't have told it to, and <laughs> but it's it's very interesting and I, I want to know more. So I will be doing more research on my own time. But before I jump into our creature for the day after talking, I guess I could have. <laughs> first, um, <clears throat> I would like to say, which you've probably seen a couple other videos. History sucks for the most part because. During, like during, during the time period Where a lot of this is taking place Is during the colonization Of Australia mm-hmm. And colonization is bad Fun fact, because it destroys cultures And yeah. uh, Nothing like bulldozing history. Everything
1: yeah. a civilization is And just and, plastering uh, your own Crappy one on top I'd of it. I'd say
0: 10 times out of 10 um, Colonizers are racist And so there are about When it comes to people- the territory there are three or four quotes in here that I just I, I pulled from, but I did edit them to take out racist things because I'm not about racism. And uh, yeah, none of that, man. <laughs> yeah. So most of the people that were like researchers at this time were racist. And so a lot of this meaning and a lot of what was coming uh, from them could very well be wrong because racists are always wrong so yeah that just that up. um so other than that there are some edited things just because i'm not about that life so that's 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 talk to cool. i'm really excited so <laughs> i don't know the exact pronunciation but i'm gonna call him the bunyip does I that That's what i
1: know i'm like <laughs> and it was kind of funny is that the, the first time i heard uh the, the name bunyip was this is going to be a little bit obscure, a little bit topical maybe. Is that in the Netflix uh, show Pacific Rim into the black or is it just the black? I forget. I think it's just the black. Yeah. But there's this like side character just called Bunyip Man. Is (laughs) that? Yeah. yeah, Who's that? that? It's in uh, the second season. It's the crazy guy with the kaiju.
2: Oh, yeah. I did not remember his name being that
0: i was saving this to the end but i will spoil it now because oh man um so in the 2000 film godzilla king of monsters um the bunyip is actually among the titans monarch really yeah i'd never pick out a bunyip to be a a kaiju as creature me either but uh, so there are other media appearances. I'm not going to be naming any just because they're pretty obscure. But that was a rather big one, which I thought was pretty cool.
1: Mm, I'll have to look up and see if they have like a rendition of what he looks like.
0: Yeah, I'm sure theirs is a pro- probably uh, bigger. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably bigger than a horse is my guess. A little bit, maybe. Yeah, bit. perhaps, Whoa. perhaps. <laughs> so the Bunyip is a creature from the aboriginal mythology um, specifically in the southeastern part of australia it is said to lurk in swamps billabongs creeks riverbeds and waterholes billabongs are just kind of like a swampy area that's a uh, okay. that's just what like i was gonna people, ask people down there yeah <laughs> and what a what a fun name Billabong. Oh, it is. and just like the mythology the bunyip is highly debated and uh, pretty hard to nail down what exactly it is really so well, do we ask... have another
1: cryptid on our hands
0: we do have a cryptid it's actually it is on the list of cryptids nice.
1: oh heck yeah
0: so um just if we take the name bunyip let's try to break it down and try to understand it a little bit more Blast. so the origin of the word bunyip can be traced to the Wimba Wimba or uh, Weregaia language. This is the people that are in present day uh, Victoria, which is in southeastern Australia. Gosh. And so the word bunyip is usually translated uh, today as devil or evil spirit. Um, but this oh, is a, a temporary translation and it's not an accurate representation of what the word actually would have translated to. Uh, then translated to pre-colonization of the of australia so again it's it still it might have been something similar to that but it would not directly translate to devil or evil spirit but some modern sources allude to the connection to a linguished connection to bunyip and uh, bunjil which is a mythic great man who would was known to make mountains rivers um, and animals so, oh, cool, you know, a weird. So you know, are, was the monster named after him? I don't know. It's a weird thing, but Bunjil is yeah. a character in their mythology.
1: That's interesting is like, are we thinking that these are the same person or maybe Bunyip is like, um, a, I would a say
0: Bunyip is like named after him is my guess. So yeah, because okay. a little bit more. Bunjil is a creator deity, cultural hero, and ancestral being depicted as a wedged tail eagle in their mythology. So he's pretty cool. Wow. Nice, Perfect.
1: an eagle god. That's freaking yeah. right.
0: And then uh, the Bunyip is also part of the, um, is obviously, because we're talking about it, is part of their mythology. And its name does vary depending on the tribal nomenclature. So in a book written in 2001 um, the writer Robert Holden, I did identify nine different regional variations of the creature known as Bunyip. So you know, where that is kind of hard because it can be very hard to then translate to what it would actually mean. Right. But what is cool about it is that there was nine different variations of this name meaning there was nine Different groups of people that believed in the bunyip. Yeah.
1: So are we thinking that there's nine different bunyips, or it's one bunyip being described by nine different people?
0: So based off of what I was being, it was able to read from accounts. Some accounts were saying that there was like this was an entire species.
1: Oh, oh it, could one, it could be species? one species.
0: Yeah. So, um, before we get into that though, I did want to kind of just tell you guys how descriptive this thing is because <laughs> 10 million different descriptions so i mean from the pictures that you
1: have at the top <laughs> woof yeah. is all it, i can say yeah, really
0: seriously. based off of those i'm super confused that's so something the most basic definition or description sorry um what are you gonna what call them basic? Like the natives would have been described as an amphibious almost entirely aquatic creature and that's it right but that inhabited the things I said, like the lakes, rivers, swamps. Right. And stuff. So we have, well, that could be a lot of things. Aquatic creature. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's try to get a little bit more. So physical descriptions of bunyips vary widely. We have George French Angus, who collected a description from um, a couple of native Aborigines and uh, who called them a water spirit. And so this is from the Morundi people that were near the Murray River. This is before eighteen forty-seven, so one of our earlier sightings, I'd say. Um, and so it's stated that it was much dreaded by them, its inhabitant inhabitants of the Murray, um, but they did not. Uh, they did have some difficulty describing it. Its most unusual form, uh, but he said it was most commonly described as an enormous starfish. Like what? Oh, that's quite different from anything else that we've it's, yeah. Uh,
1: it's like that, that would... thing from uh, Suicide Squad, the good one. <laughs> uh
0: but this is it's the terrifying only time that it was ever described that way. So Probably not. Probably thing. not that one. Uh the next you know, place that we go is uh Shalencum. Not uh, definitely Shalikum, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's another place. Um and the and the people there would actually like they remember killing one. This was wow. know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, based or we don't really know the exact time frame. But they would outline the, and by the time the body was gone, they could outline it just so they could always remember. Gotcha. And so this was found. The people found it, um, in what's called the Fiery Creek. This is near uh, um, Ararat, Victoria, and it was first recorded by the um, Australian. Or Australia Asian newspaper in 1851, according to the report, the Bunyip had been speared after killing an Aboriginal man. Um, oh, jeez! And oh. so, the people would just have have a habit of visiting the place annually. Like I was saying to outline the figure, and huh. this figure was about eleven paces long, so decently, you know, pretty sizable. Large. Um, but. To this day, the outline does no longer exist, and so we don't have that record anymore.
1: Dang, uh, it, man. dang it! All this evidence is like fading away. Why is, is it? it... Oh, Why sad. does it always get to like modern day and like all the evidence is just gone?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't think you actually wanted to keep those pictures, so we just <laughs> threw them all away.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. And then we have our next guy, who is a terrible human being, but it's fine. Um, his name is. I mean, it's not fine, sorry, but it's, you know, we could be... I <laughs> it's digress. what it is. So we have Robert Smith um, and he wrote a uh, book called The Aborigines of Victoria. And so this was written in 1878, um, and there was an entire 10 pages devoted to the Bunyip. Peace. And I'm going to read all of it for you. Just kidding. No, I'm not. Uh-huh. Um, but basically, um, the, the most important part was included, or was at the end, and it concluded that in truth, little is known among the people respecting its form, covering its uh, covering or habitats. They appear to have been in such dread of it that they were unable to take note of its characteristics. Wow. Uh, but he does reference someone um, who could recall a childhood memory in the 19, eight, I'm sorry, 1890s, that the bunyip supposedly had a snout like an owl and was probably nocturnal. Do uh, owls have snouts? I think it, it's talking more about it's, like, beak. A beak? But, just be calling it a snout? But, well, yeah, because okay. it's, it's more amphibian, so looking kind of True. like, well, it's a snout. Okay. Yeah. And then, now if we just take, like, the statistics, because that's what I like. So, yeah. yep, presumably, seem, so if we take all the accounts of witnesses, presumable witnesses, obviously. Um, According to their descriptions, the most, most commonly fit into two categories. 60% of the sightings resembled seals or swimming dogs. 20% of the sightings are long necked creatures with small heads. And then the remaining percent is an amphibious thing beyond categorization. (laughs) Amphibious (laughs) thing. Yeah. You know, something, (laughs) but seal dog variety is, definitely by huge margin the most described um and it's usually around four to six feet long uh with a like shaggy black or brown coat and then according to some reports uh these bunyips have round heads resembling a bulldog prominent ears no tail and whiskers like a steel or an otter so if we picture that that is the most cited version Kinda of like sounds them, like a seal, right? Yeah, oh, kind of. <laughs> Almost exactly like a seal. <laughs> um, and then we go to the, you know, second most sighted version. We get the long necked variety that was allegedly between like five to fifteen feet long. So
2: a little oh. bit bigger.
1: And by a so little this bit this is like when you say long necked like aquatic creature, I immediately think of Nessie.
0: Yeah.
2: So, same. I was thinking the
0: same thing. Got, um, got and a relative in Nessie. The, the, the only difference between Nessie and it, re- really, is that it actually does have still have fur. So in every single account, it does have black or brown fur. Interesting. It has large ears, small tusks, and a head like a horse or an emu, an elongated mane, maned neck about three feet long with many folds of skin like and a horse-like tail. So... An uh, ugly creature. Man, this thing hair. has a lot of hair for being in the water. Yeah, it yeah. does. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, but uh, if we go to and, and so most of those accounts are going to be from, uh, uh, colonists. If we go back to the native aboriginals, they're most described is the amphibious nocturnal creature that inhabits like the lakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and according to the aboriginals uh, and their mythology. Uh, They swim very swiftly with fins or flippers, have a loud roaring call, feed on crayfish. But uh, there are legends that say that they're uh, bloodthirsty towards humans, particularly children, um, but as well as, you know, grown men and women as well. And it's said that they lay eggs in platypus nests. So. Interesting. Disrespect, man. They're what the heck? Large blue eggs, I believe. Um, and then we do see the bunya appear in Garinjari, dreaming, which, um, as in the Garinjari, that's a tribe, I believe. Um, their their specific. Mythology and their specific dreaming that we talked about. It is it was uh, known as a water spirit called the Moliwank.
1: moly wonk
0: Yeah, and it would it was used as kind of a teaching thing for kids. So it would um, uh, like attack, eat, you know, whatever anyone who took more of their fair of shift uh fish. Well, that was a hard that was nice. <laughs> yeah, their fair share of fish from the waterways if they took more. Or if children got too close to the water, it would attack them. Um, and it was just a, a story used to teach um, people that waters can be dangerous. And it was just a way to, you know, survive for them. So yeah.
1: this is, like, a extremely violent and aquatic, like, the mouse from Chuck E. Cheese.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's, a, that's a good way like to... A,
1: like, a, I guess you could think, like, if... You take too much pizza at Chuck E. Cheese, then Chucky's gonna attack you. Is that <laughs> is that the rules of
2: Chuck E. Cheese? I apparently yeah. have not been there recent yeah. enough because that you sounds know, very this is five the, nights the, the new rules
1: put in. Yeah. Don't take too much pizza. Keep to your own personal space. Don't uh don't look into the kitchens. Otherwise Chucky will get you, man. Jeez. He'll teach you. He'll teach you what's right.
2: I, I mean, I'm no parent. But I feel like that's a pretty, both both the new Chuck E. Cheese uh, theme and the uh, scaring kids away from water, that feels like a pretty aggressive way of teaching kids. Like, I feel Again. like you can do it a little bit more gently than that. They got to learn somehow. I suppose. I believe
0: the path that you're talking about, Randy, is what the the cool kids
2: call gentle parenting. Um, I don't know about gentle parenting, but ah, not create artificial monsters to scare your child into sub- submission, I feel like is maybe somewhere in the middle of uh, the terrifying your child and letting the kid walk all over you. That'd be my vote. <laughs> Anyways.
1: If, if your child isn't traumatized by, uh, yeah. by the time they're like eight, then you're doing it wrong.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> Joking.
0: <laughs> well if we if we uh just go down the path of what parents were teaching their kids um let's let's break down this myth a little bit more to understand us. where this comes from other than it just being a child eating monster that was used for lessons <laughs> <laughs> so um before the uh bunyip was named before a lot of people were, you know, or maybe it was already named. But I don't believe it was named the Bunyip yet. Uh, basically, we just heard these stories in their in their lore in their oral history. We heard tales of creatures that would stalk waterways, uh, eat prey, and um, anything that came close to the water. And uh, apparently, these creatures did develop a taste for people. And so we, you know, this this just accumulated for so long until really until the colonization started happening. And that's when the story started to explode. Interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, there have been tons of attempts to understand and explain the origins um, mm-hmm. for 150 years. Um, and in uh, 1933, we had a, a, a book written by Charles uh, Finner, he suggested that it was um, the actual origin of the Bunyip myth lies in the fact that from the uh, time to time seals ha- would make their way up to the Murray and Darling rivers. He provided examples of seals found as far inland as the overland corner uh, Luxon, Luxon and uh, Kangaro and reminded readers that the smooth fur prominent apricot eyes and the bellowing cry are characteristics of the seal especially southern elephant seals and leopard seals. So he believes that, yes, there's definitely a creature that, you know, was in those rivers and eating crawfish and maybe time to time did attack someone. Uh, but man, I don't seals think can It's be scary. Old. bro. Yeah. Seals are very uh, can be very aggressive.
1: Yeah. Like they're big and like don't let their somewhat cute appearance fool you, man. They got teeth. Mm-hmm.
0: Slap you around. And it makes sense why it could potentially be like an elephant seal because they do have a type of fur, just like otters and stuff, right? So um, it's a pretty interesting, you know, definitely more um, logical approach to this mythological creature. But it, it does, you know, if one, you know, elephant seal attacked someone 150 years ago, you know, who's to say that like, stories and you know the telephone game wasn't played and then it became some mythological creature and that's right pretty interesting uh way to look at like how most like mythology is created yeah so another suggestion that we have um it could be a cultural memory of an extinct australian marsupial and um i'm not going to try to read these Actually, I might as well. So it could be an extinct marsupial such as the dirotodon, the yep. Zygomartrus, the nototherium, or the Palocastries. These are all not quite Jurassic period; definitely much earlier or much later than that. Um, but, but these creatures- are like dinosaurs. So no, not Jurassic period creatures that may like like mammoth. So post
2: Jurassic but not like mammoth era right okay
0: even after mammoth anyways they're they are not cloning them. they all are fossilized creatures though that are in museums Uh, so they might be older i'm not even i don't time and me don't get along so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) they all are real creatures that have existed that have Mm. that are like in museums so maybe they know
2: about that i don't even know but anyway dinosaurs real i don't know
1: I never saw him.
2: Exactly, that's where it's. Yeah, but, um, I don't know. So this could be a memory of
0: one of those creatures or some creature similar that existed that, like, maybe tormented their ancestors, and it was just stories passed on from that. Um, the confer- connection was first formally made by Dr. George Bennett, and he's um, work was like a, a doctor at the Australian Museum. And uh, in the early 1990s, um, there was a paleontologist named Pat Victors, um, and a geologist named Neil Archbold. They uh, suggested that um, Aboriginal legends perhaps had stemmed from the,, um, from the prehistoric bones or even living prehistoric animals themselves, which, I should have mentioned that they said this cautiously because obviously I don't think they believed prehistoric animals were still alive. But um basically just within, you know, multiple decades, what is that like forty years? I can do math. Um, there have been multiple times where people have been like, you know, it really could have been them just seeing these or not seeing, but like having stories of these uh right creatures that did exist and that we do know about. Um Mm. Even people that they did, they actually had some remains of those creatures that I mentioned. Showed them to some Aboriginal people, and they said that those could, like, could have been identified as a bunny, a uh, bunny, as a uh, <laughs> bun- a bunny. Yep. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Anyways, so my least favorite <laughs> descri- or uh, way to understand this
2: myth: it's was- the ghost of an old. Uh, plesiosaur. That's just plesiosaur. Wondering.
0: That would be my <laughs> favorite. Going uh, around in a yeah. lake, and then there's uh-huh. it's actually worse. creates time
1: portals. Yeah, like, yeah. In
0: 2017, there was a bird life article written by Carl. bird life. And and he's the only life thing. to live, man. Uh- <laughs> <So> these <laughs> encounters were actually with a southern cassowary, which if you look up that it's. It's a turkey. it's it's, it's turkey. like the most
1: dang dangerous bird, isn't
0: it? It is, it is pretty dangerous, but it's also a turkey looking guy.
1: And <laughs> don't, don't tell him that he will yeah. like, rip it to pieces. So,
0: according to the first written descriptions of the uh, Bunyip from around 1845 was a creature that laid pale blue eggs of a mint size, possessed deadly claws, a powerful hind legs, a brightly colored chest, and an emu-like head characteristics that it does indeed share with the australian cassowary um and as the creature's bill was described as having uh, serrated projections what? each like the bone of a stingray so e. in in this myth and and you know this the legend of this and the people that lived in this area they did um have spears they were renowned for having spears tipped with stingray barbs and that could very right. well be the bill of this bird um so there are, you know, it is possible mm. but people would describe a turkey. as, <laughs> But
1: just think about it. If it's like really wet and it's like half in the water. Looks like a bunyip turkey. to me, man.
0: Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. While I'm talking, Randy, look up a picture of it and uh, just tell me how much it doesn't look like what you would think
2: it would look like. It looks exactly <laughs> like what I thought it would. A turkey. thing I ever knew
0: anyways so now let's get into some personal accounts uh there are
2: some pretty cool have ones. you seen one you have a first-hand account that's awesome
1: without even going to australia that's incredible oh, are they migrating first-hand
0: accounts what? of people apparently they're pretty cool Oh,
2: not your first-hand account
0: um i do no, i think it's a turkey <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: anyways so uh during the early colonization of australia by the europeans a notion became commonly held that the uh, bunyip was an unknown animal that awaited discovery. These Europeans got there and they just, they heard tons of stories about this creature. Um, And And so
1: then they were like, we must slay it and put it on our wall.
0: (laughs) Makes sense to me. They were unfamiliar. And so uh, with the sights and sounds of this massive continent, and they were unaware of, you know, a lot of the fauna that existed and, Basically, all these stories uh, coming to them, they believe that the bunyip was described to them was, you know, just another strange Austal- Australian animal, not some mythological creature.
2: To be fair, there are also definitely a lot of strange Australian oh, animals. One so, I mean, hundred. So, not uh, unreasonable. But
0: basically, Any time <laughs> right? that they heard, like weird animal calls or anything, they associated that with the bunyip, and okay. so. They the Europeans just kind of took this story and ran with it, um, and it is possible there have been some suggestions that the 19th century uh, Bunyip lore could have been reinforced by some European folklore, uh, specifically maybe like the Irish uh, Puka, which if you guys are unaware of that, it's kind of like a rabbit monkey. That's a term. rabbit monkey.
2: Why are, we talk, why are we not talking about the puka this time? Oh, that all, sounds wild.
0: I'll talk about the puka. It's uh, some Celtic mythology, and it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it
1: sounds like a dance. It does. You, know, you do the puka <laughs> at your uh, your friend's well, wedding, and you get way too drunk, and it's
0: terrible. type of music. Puka is? Polka. Yeah, I was well, going to say, isn't it polka? Polka. But uh, anyways, so... There, I mean, just like we've talked about with like Christianity and other cultures, when that happens, just like that with colonization, you're going to get a mix of ideas into, you know, what we know today. And today we're not going to know the some of the difference differentiations of the stories before and after colonization. Right. But that's OK, because we're going to we're going to hear some cool stories anyways. So in 1830. Um, we have the well cave fossils the discovery of fossilized bones quadruped uh, much larger than an ox or buffalo in the wellington caves in the mid 19 or 1830s this was discovered by um george uh, rankin and then again by thomas michael um so they announced the finds as convincing proof of the deluge, they were referring to biblical accounts of the flood. So, huh. more Quite the connection. <laughs> yeah, basically, this was an ex- uh, extinct animal from the flood. These guys were just trying to—I don't even know. But they're, they're aquatic.
2: <laughs> How are they dying in the flood? They're just Put just swim life. away, nerd.
0: Was, um, but we later found that these were identified as um, just large. And by large, I mean gigantic marsupials of the creatures that I named earlier, the Notharrium and the Diprotodon.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I sounded super uneducated, and I apologize. To anyone that actually wants to know the names of these things.
1: And uh, I don't know why, but the thought of like a giant
0: marsupial—oh, have, just you, like seen horrifying like, to have me. you seen like Jurassic era like sloths? They are terrifyingly yeah. Bad. Those
2: things are horrifying. They are so that's cute. awful. Bro.
0: Yeah, no, I would not have wanted to live then.
2: Mammals should not get that big. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I know there's elephants, but but like sloths and like things with pouches. No, thanks.
0: And then um, around the same time period, so like the mid 1830s, um, it was said by some of the colonizers that um, all natives throughout these lands uh, have a tradition of a very large animal having at one time existed in large creeks and rivers. Um, Interesting. And that they think that animals basically still exist like that. Um Anyways, we're going to jump a couple of years into the future, and we have the first written use of the word bunyip. This is in 1845.
2: Please and tell me it was in relation to a dessert. It sadly wasn't. I'm sorry Dang it. To, to... Still hoping to be justified. And validated. <laughs> um, basically,
0: when they found some fossils this was near uh Geelong. i don't know where, i don't know where any of these places are my uh geography is not very good
2: my guess but, australia
0: uh, probably though know, honestly um in the newspaper it was there's was a headline that said wonderful discovery of a new animal so everyone was pretty hyped up about that um so this was a story or there was basically like this story going on about some fossil remains and this was you know, it's supposed to be the evidence that it was a new animal, and it. The newspaper continued and said, "On the bone being shown to an Aboriginal, he once recognized or at yeah, once recognized it. Sorry, he at once recognized it to belong to a bunyip, um, and he declared he had seen one." And that feels pretty I,
2: optimistic. Uh, requested to make a drawing, a bit. Of he
0: did so without hesitation. Um, the account noted a story of an Aboriginal woman being killed by a bunyip, and then uh, the most direct evidence of all that a man named Mumburan, Mumburan uh, who had sh- uh, showed several deep wounds on his breast made by the claw of an animal. So, hmm. I don't know. We, we do have a guy claiming to have seen one, and then someone being attacked by one. So, I mean, that, I, mean I think that's all the that, proof I need.
1: That is kind of like a little bit convincing if somebody's like hey man i have literal scars from this animal like sure i don't really believe it at this point but like that probably has the most weight i feel
0: he is going to describe it for us so let's let's hear from him the words of this guy sorry this isn't an exact uh, quotation this is just kind of a description so the bunyip then is represented as um the having uniting characteristics of a bird and an alligator there's the head resembling an emu with a long bill and an ext- um uh, an extremity of what would transverse a projection of each side so like on its like beak kind of thing kind of weird interesting with serrated edges like blown bones like a stingray which again totally checks out because those people did have spears with stingray stingers i don't know what that means but anyways Mm -hmm. bodies and legs uh partake in the nature of an alligator so like the same kind of you know hind legs and everything um the hind legs were thick and strong the forelegs were longer um but they looked pretty strong but definitely not as like thick as the back legs um it would have long claws um and they would basically just hug prey to death
2: Wow, so friendly. No, not at all. all. They want some (laughs) friends, man. They're just lonely.
0: Would swim like a frog, so I'm not quite sure if it would if I if I'm buying that because I feel like it would just swim like an alligator. But what do I know? Hey, maybe maybe alligators swim
2: like frogs, and you just don't know.
0: Even more terrifying, with this image in your head, when it's it walks on its hind leg, basically like standing like a
2: person. Oh no, thirteen feet high. Or tall.
1: Oh no,
2: man, that oh. freaks me out when a cat does that. Let alone like a, a and
1: dangerous thinking animal
2: kills you by hugging an you. No, right? You. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So that's you know pretty uh an interesting account. Now we're gonna jump a couple years, two years to 1847, um, and now we have its appearance uh, for its first appearance in a museum. So. Ooh. Someone found a peculiar looking skull and it was found in Murumbridge River near Ballround Ooh, that was a ball Balronaald. Uh mm. basically New South Wales. Um uh, the initial report suggested that it was a skull of something unknown to science. And the person who found it remarked all of the Aboriginal um natives to whom it was shown called it a bunyip. But we do find out a couple months later by several uh, experts that they identified the skull as a deformed fetal skull of a fowl or calf. Uh At the same time, the so, you know, within that couple months, um, the skull was put on display in the Australian Museum in Sydney for two days. People flocked to see it. And uh, apparently during this time, people were just going crazy saying that they had seen it that they and they were just telling their stories of the bunyip sightings and uh in march of the same year so the skull was discovered in january it was proven to be not a skull of a bunyip in july so in march there was a group of people that went out to go find this thing and they found they found it a they said a bunyip or a just a ginormous platypus, but they think it's a bunyip, was sighted. Of course It was sunning himself, and the, uh, basically across, like on a river. And they, a huge crowd gathered, all seeing it apparently, three men got on a boat and started rowing over. And once they got about uh, three yards, or a yard or something like that, from it, it just disappeared. So.
1: Wow. Like, didn't even like crawl
0: back into the water, just
1: evaporated
0: i it's it red disappeared so it just disappeared i guess dang you're a wizard thing <laughs> bunyip, <laughs> of bunyip, bunyip no, wizard. man <laughs> <laughs> um and then we have uh the word bunyip kind of uh the word evolved over time a little bit so by the 1850s a lot of stories of the bunyip kind of went away and people started using bunyip and by people, I mean specifically the Australian colonists um, used the word as a synonym for imposter predator or a humbug. (laughs) Humbug?
1: um, A humbug is kind of like, like,
0: so that actually is a popular word for like Europe, uh, like 1800 Europeans and of the sort. It really? um, means like lazy or I don't know, just kind of like you would talk down to someone calling them a humbug. Anyway, it was a
1: mad diss. Uh,
0: at this time, though, the word is pretty obsolete in the Australian English, um, except for um, there is a river called Bunyip and a town called Bunyip currently. Fun fact, though, um, in eighteen, or sorry, in the early nineteen nineties, the prime minister, uh, his name was Paul Keating, used the term to uh, kind of attack his opposition um, in the uh, the Liberal Party of Australia. He, oh, I was
1: he just called them, called them bunyips.
0: He called the his like opposition a bunyip. Yep. What a bizarre. Wow. <laughs> Which Imagine I think is hilarious.
1: If- we had like a, a senator or like a politician or something, and just be like, "Man, you're such a Bigfoot! Like, <laughs> what the heck, bro? I would
2: love that. I would lose all respect.
1: That would be baffling.
2: They would gain all of my respect. Oh, geez. Like, man,
1: this dude believes Bigfoot's dude,
2: real. I'm voting for him. She knows. Running up
1: to the polls right now. <laughs>
0: so that uh, is going to take us to the end um basically what i had learned was history is confusing the bunyip i still don't know what it is but i've learned a little bit about it um
1: and i think it's one of them cassowaries
0: i yeah it's, it's turkey. Just,
1: it's just wet you know just got of the river it's looking all weird you know, <laughs> or maybe it like lost a bunch of feathers in a fight. <laughs> I don't know,
0: but I'm kind of of the opinion that every single mythological creature is really just Nessie and a different stage of its life teleporting from the courts. It just has like a million
1: different evolutions. It's like a freaking yeah. Pokemon.
2: Yep, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm on board with that.
0: Yeah, I'm so on <laughs> board with this theory. No, at the end of at the end of my research i have been so intrigued by this m- mythology that like i i mean other than just like like i figure it existed i didn't know anything about it and now i'm i think it's one of the cooler mythologies that i've looked at to be honest i mean like whatever dreamland is i really want to understand that a little bit more
1: oh man it sounds terrifying to go to but yeah it'd
0: be super interesting to learn about <laughs> You have to okay. get into your avatar state to get there. Yeah.
1: Man. Yeah. And then like, maybe it's full of button. Yips. I don't know. I don't want yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any- to
0: go there. Yeah. Anyways, me- oh, what's up?
1: Yeah. To me, the, the wildest part about this one is that you, I mean, like it's kind of crazy to think that like early humanity, like, literally came face-to-face with, like, monsters, right? Some of these prehistoric creatures that are, like, massive marsupials and, like, giant sloths and stuff. You totally see how, like, there could maybe be some, like, super ancient, like, passed-down stories of just these horrible monsters,
0: basically. And then I'm over here terrified of, like, a tiny little spider.
2: Yep. Yeah, man. (laughs) You're the reason that humanity has sunk... (laughs) <laughs> Where we're everything's
1: at. all wrong, uh-huh. but uh, wild, hey,
2: thank you
0: guys for coming back, listening to us ramble on about nothing for most of that. <laughs> we one really yips, appreciate man. it. man. hips are great, we love our cryptids. I uh, I think they're definitely one of my favorite topics because I just love the theories that come from it. And uh, man. anyways, check us out on Twitter. Our yes. Uh, was it handle our Do uh, that. is at Vanquishers Pod baby? Yeah, and then our TikTok is uh, Vanquishers Guide. It's great. It's uh, cringy and
2: in all the best ways. Isn't that what has I say? some it's
1: excellent content, content
0: on it. it. Uh, yeah, I respond on there. Bryce, I'm sure responds on Twitter. Yes, uh, we would love to hear from you guys. Give us a rating on uh, applications that offer you to
1: do so you know give us five stars or like we're the best
0: maybe if if anyone's interested or you know you want to show off your knowledge of australian mythology like knowledge and impress some people but we will catch y'all next week and have a good one